Hello, everybody. Chad Zar here for another edition of the Dark Art Society podcast, episode 106, an inter- interview with the amazing artist David Casson. If you've never heard of David Casson, go look him up. K A S S A N. He's not really a dark artist but he's uh, kind of a portrait artist and his stuff is really, really incredible. He's one of the top artists in the this kind of new realistic portrait thing that's been happening for a while. I don't know what you call it. Um, people who can really paint and know what they're doing. I often mention David and Sean Cheatham and uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, I forgot his name. Aaron Westerberg, I think, is one. And what the hell's his name? Uh, well, anyway, it'll come to me. I'm sure everybody knows who I'm talking about. He's like, you know, one of the best of these portrait guys. I don't know what you'd call that whole scene. But uh, anyway, these, these painters are amazing. and um, I really look up to them and respect these guys a lot. So that's t- today's interview. Um, as for me, I'm doing well, aside from this back pinch nerve, back pain thing. It's doing better, slowly healing. I think it's gone and then it comes back the next day. But today feels pretty good, although it did wake me up this morning, but I feel pretty good right now. I just can't sit very much. I have to either stand or lie down. So I've, I bought a mat for my studio so I can stand on it and not hurt my feet because I have hardwood floors. So I've been uh, painting and sculpting standing up lately. And I've been live streaming from my studio for my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Jetzar. And that's been really fun. I'm excited about that. I'm going to start doing tutorials. I'm going to do some like live tutorials so people can ask questions. I think this is a really great development, this whole live streaming thing. It kind of came out of, it was, it was weird because Gabe Leonard started live streaming. And I always do everything Gabe Leonard does. Not really, but uh, he's a friend of mine. I always joke that I'm like a few years behind him because he's always kind of on the cutting edge of these things. He got me into doing my canvas clays and prints and stuff. and He started live streaming and then... Uh, the Schifflet brothers, who are these amazing sculptors, they, they were on the podcast. They invited me to live stream a sculpting session in their forum, the Schifflet brothers sculpting forum on Facebook. And so I said, sure, because they're super cool guys and really great artists. And they took time to be on the podcast. So I thought, you know, I should re- return the favor. And uh, I would have just done it anyway because they're cool. Nice guys. But that 
got me thinking, well, I should be live streaming on my own Patreon. Between that and Gabe live streaming, it's got me thinking about it. And now I'm really getting into this whole live streaming thing. And I just figure anytime I'm at the easel sculpting or painting, I'm just going to live stream it and post it on my Patreon. So if you join up at the $5 level, you can get tons of live streaming that's coming up. Right now I'm doing it through my iPhone 10 and it's working pretty well, but I need to get a more professional setup. So I really want to try and get more patrons on my Patreon so I can maybe get a dedicated camera for that. Just make it look, I'd love for it to look just amazing and, and super clear and perfect. Although it looks pretty good with the iPhone 10, I have to say, but I don't have a can, uh, studio, a uh, uh, computer in my studio. So it's hard for me to see comments people are making. It's a long story. But anyway, I'm going to, if I, if I can get more support on the Patreon, I'm going to upgrade my equipment and try and get really professionally set up for doing live streams. and Do a lot more of that. Uh, so other than that, everything's great. Um, oops, I said, um, damn it. I'm still trying to break myself of the um problem. I think I've done pretty good so far, except for that last one. Anyway, time to read the new members. People who have donated to the Dark Art Society Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash darkartsociety. That supports the podcast. And supports the movement. Where did it go? I just had it up. Man. Okay, here we go. So, oh, before I mention new members, let me say that I posted some, some uh, footage of the s s creation of the new Dark Art Society official member limited edition t-shirt. It's really high end. It's got its own little tag with the Dark Art Society logo on it. It's got a big logo on front. It's got a logo on the arm. It's got my signature on the top uh, back. And it's really amazing. And you can get this by pledging at the $50 level on the Patreon. We have a few a handful of supporters that have been supporting us on the, the $50 level that uh, consistently, which is amazing. And I wanted to get this t-shirt done for them. But I realize that most people can't support that kind of, can't throw down that kind of money every month. So what I was thinking is if you just support for one month at the $50 level, if you bump up your pledge to $50 for one month, you can get this limited edition shirt. So then you could go back down to whatever level you are comfortable with. So as long as you get one month in there, at least you'll get the limited edition t-shirt. And this is the only way you'll be able to get this limited edition t-shirt. I will eventually make a version of the shirt for the, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't have it figured out. Maybe one of the lower tiers or just uh, a way for members below the $50 level, uh, a t-shirt that they can purchase that's less expensive and less exclusive, more of a kind of 
commercial version of the shirt with less of the bells and whistles. And that will be coming soon as well. So, but in the meantime, if you want to get this limited edition one, bump up your pledge to 50 bucks for one month and you'll get it. So a couple people bumped up their pledges to get the shirt. And so I'm going to read their names off as well, as well as new members this week. Mike Doherty bumped his pledge up to get a shirt, as well as Adam Bennett did. And Dan Fisher Art, Lisa Sfingos did it. Thanks, you guys, for doing that. Very cool. Okay, we got Michael Kohler as a new member. Thanks, Michael. Gary Marshall upped his pledge. And Amanda Chesworth did as well. Thank you both. Okay, and new member Michael Meach, Brian Kent Ward, Samuel Araya is a great artist. I own an original of his. And that's it for new members this week. The membership keeps growing, the movement keeps growing. If you can't afford to donate, please share the Patreon and share the podcast and get it out there. I can't tell you how many messages I get sent from people who say how much they appreciate this podcast. You know, being in LA and being at the heart of this dark art scene, you take it for granted that this kind of artwork is just accepted everywhere, but it's not. I get emails all the time from people talking about how they appreciate the podcast because where they live, this kind of artwork is considered evil or not accepted and they're looked down upon and they really feel like there's a sense of family in this community. So this is why we're doing it. And uh, yeah, so that's very rewarding. And I'm happy to help with that. All right, now we got the five questions for the week and then we'll get on to the David Casson interview. Okay, John Twig Hyde, what are your thoughts on digital sculpture and 3D printing? Cheating? Legit medium? Let's see, what do I think about that? I think it's cool, actually. I would love to have a 3D printer and be able to sculpt things and just quickly print them out. The new printing is amazing. It's, I remember when we first 3D printed one of the puppets for the tool, uh, what was it? Was it the parabola? Parabola video. There's a stop motion figure and we, we, we 3D printed it. I built it in Lightwave as a 3D model. and We printed it and there were little print lines all over it. So it had to be remold, remolded, recast, sanded smooth. And then that was molded again and that's what we poured our silicone in to make the stop motion puppet and put the armature in. But the technology has come so far, it's, I've seen prints that you can barely see the print lines, if at all. I haven't even seen 3D printing lately, so I imagine it's probably about perfect by now. But I will say this about digital sculpting. I love ZBrush. I forgot how to use it. I used to use it when I was working in the business and I stopped using it when I left the industry and forgot how to use it. But it was really fun 
And that symmetry mode is pretty amazing because you only have to sculpt one side of something. But I will say this about 3D sculpting. It makes you a better sculptor. I've seen people who were pretty good sculptors become great sculptors in ZBrush. I don't know what it is about ZBrush, but something about it makes it easier for you to be a good sculptor. Now that is not taking anything away from digital sculptors because I've seen some work that is as good as the best fine art realist sculptors out there right now. And when you get that good, I don't think it matters. When you're at that level, I don't think it matters. But on a certain level, it, it I don't know what it is. I haven't really thought about it too much, but I know that it's true. I guess maybe it takes less effort to get something that looks better than the effort it would take to get it to look that good in clay, perhaps. Maybe because things are smoothed off more, more it's, everything's smoother and I don't know. Anyway, that's my thought. I don't think it's cheating. I think it's totally legit. I just like the idea of an original and when you're sculpting digitally, there is no original. So that's kind of a bummer. But on the other hand, when you're sculpting and you mold something and you cast it and you're only selling casts, the, the original gets destroyed. So there goes that thought. So anyway, I don't know if that made any sense. At Osgood, the green, this is Caleb Osgood, I believe. Does the creature from your painting signals make an appearance in dystopia? That is a good question. I'm not sure. Yes, it does, now that I think about it. Because that creature in the painting signals, I think it's a... a What's that character? It's an interloper. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that Signals painting. There's so many paintings in this book that I am almost done with. <sighs> that uh, it's hard to keep track of everything and include everything. But yes, I believe it will be making an appearance. I need to think about that painting, though. I just, I... Yeah, okay. At B2232, do you ever varnish any of your paintings? Yes, I varnish all of my paintings. I didn't used to varnish my paintings, and then some of my early paintings, I used to do what's really bad and varnish it with liquid, which is a painting medium. And that's, it kind of works as a varnish, but it's not good because it's not removable. And it has a tendency to yellow. So what I use is Gamvar, which is the varnish from Gamblin. It's a conservator's varnish. And it evens the surface out because when you paint in oil, some, some paint colors will sink in and become flat. And then other colors, depending on how much medium you use and what the type of, what color what you're painting with, it will dry kind of glossy. So then you have these glossy and matte areas that don't reflect light the same. And it's kind of just doesn't look that great. And so you have to give it a coat of varnish to 
even out the surface. And it brings back these sunken flat colors and makes them rich again. And let me shut this window because I can hear a helicopter. And you know how I feel about helicopters. Oops. Um, oh, I said, um. Okay, what was I saying? Oh, so anyway, I use some artists don't like gloss varnish. I like gloss varnish. I use Gamvar gloss varnish. You can get Gamvar in uh, satin or matte as well. So highly recommend Gamvar because, oh, the other thing I was going to say, if it gets dirty, you could strip it with mineral spirits and reapply it without messing the painting up. So always varnish your paintings because you need that protective layer. And it also helps, like I said, to even out the surface and make it look better. At Nelson Art Space and at Thomas Sunstrand, would, would you or have you tried mediums like watercolor, pastel, or spray paint? I would, and I have. I've tried watercolor a number of times, and it's really difficult. I have trouble with it. I'm not very good at it. Pastel, I've been wanting to try ever since I discovered Harley Brown because most of those paintings he does that look like amazing oil paintings are pastels. And I actually talked to him when I first got in touch with him a couple of years ago, and he told me, he gave me the recommendations of what to get, and I just got too busy and never tried it. But I would like to, and spray paint. Yeah, I've actually always been kind of interested in, in trying something with spray paint, but I don't really have the space. I guess I could do it outside, but I'm not that interested. I'm not so interested that I'm going to actually go and do it, probably. But if I had an opportunity, I'd, I'd try it, of course. I would try any anything I had the opportunity to try if I had time to do it. At Not Steve, what color palette do you use most? Well, I have go-to colors that I use most of the time. And I'm always experimenting with new colors to keep it interesting and to try and learn more. But I would say my basic palette is usually titanium white, ivory black, a blue, like French ultramarine or Prussian blue I've been using lately, a lizard Permanent alizarin crimson. Uh, alizarin crimson is not permanent. It will fade over time. So you have to get one called permanent alizarin crimson. And Rembrandt has... Uh, it's on the... Is it rose matter? Or, or matter deep? I forget what it's called. But they have a, a kind of a replacement for alizarin crimson. And it's permanent. Um, oops, I said, um, okay. So anyway, after alizarin crimson, I've got a cadmium red light or a cadmium scarlet, burnt umber and a raw umber. And the raw umber I've been using since I discovered is the Vasari raw umber, which is a cool greenish raw umber. And I think that's it. Oh, and yellow ochre. That's pretty much it for my main colors. And I will supplement sometimes with 
dioxazine purple, some other blues. I, just whatever. David Casson during the interview brought up these gambling, what are they called? Are these like pastel colors? Well, he brings it up in the interview. I've been trying those as well. Gabe Leonard turned me on to those also as a way of, instead of, he, it'll, he'll tell you in the interview. I don't want to give the interview away. He talks about, David talks about how he uses them in the interview and it's really interesting. So that's that. So once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. Let's get into the interview now, shall we? Here you go with a two-hour interview with David Casson, episode 106. Hello, David. How's it going? It's going good. My pinched nerve in my back is like, it's almost gone. I'm so happy about that. That's a good thing. I didn't know you. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I had I've had this pinched nerve for like three weeks now. It's killing me. I guess that's funny. You think of like when you when someone says, "How's it going?" <laughs> it's most rhetoric. You know what I mean? It's a rhetoric thing, and then you get like <laughs> response, and you're like, yeah. "Oh, shit!" So, I was hoping you were okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get someone who actually tells you how they're doing. <laughs> Sorry about your pinched nerve. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, thank you for making the time uh, to do this. This is great. Yeah, dude, this is an honor. Thanks. Oh, thanks. I'm a hu huge fan of your work and have been for oh, a long yeah. time. And um, huge fan of your parallel palette as well. Oh, that's right. I owe you another one. I, gotta, I, gotta, I have more control now over distribution. Oh, cool. So I, I can definitely get one out to you if you remind me. Okay. I'm going to remind you. I have, your, I have your phone number now so I can text you. Yeah, yeah, seriously, do it. I'll text you. I'll text you a picture of my of my parallel palette, and that will be all the reminder that you need. Oh no, I think I, I think I saw it like almost maybe like a it was like six seven months or a year ago. Yeah, and it, it looked awesome. So now it's got to look better. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty scary. I kind of want to. I want to get a new one so I could leave that as is as just like a little art piece. Yeah. No. So, uh, are you there? Hello. Oh, what was that? Oh, whoa! You disconnected for a second. I did. Yeah, it's a poor network connection. Oh, it's a poor connection on my end too. Should I? Should we try this on my phone? Yeah, yeah, we could do that if that's okay. Yeah. With you. yeah, I have a better, uh, I have a better connection. Okay. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, sorry about that. Let me just put my, how do I get this one? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, sounds great. Okay. This should be, this should definitely be way more consistent. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, are you able to do it and still work? Do what? The, uh, the interview. I know you were kind of like working on your deadline while you were talking. Oh no, it's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally cool. I mean, my deadlines are like, well, the painting is 18 feet by eight feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's not, I'm not going to finish it today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I've like tried to plan my life around um, focusing on, 
And I also have four other paintings to finish too, but whatever. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's like, I hate exhibitions. We could talk about that probably while uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> on the podcast when you're recording or whatever. Yeah, I'm recording now. I just decided I'm going to leave. Oh, it. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to leave it all in and have them edit it together. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Keeping that's it real. Cool. Um, right. On. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, I know it sounds like you have a deadline you mentioned. So um, I appreciate you taking the time. And I've mentioned to you that everybody's really excited. I posted that I oh, scored right an interview with you in the in the little Facebook Dark Art Society cooperative group we have. That is uh, one of the one of the little perks you get from being uh, subscribing to the Patreon. It's like a little private group and everyone was stoked. So, Oh, nice. You have many fans in the dark art community. Uh, that's cool. That'll help me when I go to hell and everything. So <laughs> <Yeah. awesome. laughs> you got friends now, but down there. Right. <laughs> Hell's way better than heaven. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they say. Much way more, more fun. fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I mean, I, aside from your work, Here's what I know about you. I know your work, and I'm on your Patreon, which is amazing. Awesome, and, man. Thank and, you. And I know you have uh, a, a wife who's an amazing painter, correct? Well, she, she's my fiance right oh, now. Your we're fiance. not fiancé. Okay. Yeah. We're getting married in uh, November. Okay. And, which is going to be fun, finally. And what's her name? Uh, Shana. Shana Levinson. Yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, she's getting she's getting really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's about all I know about you, really. So um, okay, <laughs> and that you're you're you seem like a cool guy. And uh, oh, so I mean, how how did you had the the usual questions first? How did you start? What age did you start getting interested in art and all that stuff? Yeah. So I mean, I was always into art as a kid. I was like really bad at school. Oh. wasn't good at wasn't good at uh at spelling or the math oh, or, <laughs> wow I, no, I always thought you were like i don't know you seem kind of like a brainiac kind of guy to me oh really i mean i'm super nerdy when it comes to art right <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think that's about it i just you know school is just really boring i guess yeah for me. and so i didn't really um excel that well uh i was the kid you know like everybody probably who's listening to this just drew in their notebooks mm. the whole time and uh that was pretty much it and did did lots of art when i was in high school i was in in like special art classes i had to take i had to um stay back a year mm-hmm. though because i did a little i did some sports and that was i couldn't juggle that with doing uh there's an art major um focus at my high school at the time mm-hmm. and so instead of uh doing that I, I was playing soccer and track and everything like that that got in the way of doing so i needed a study hall because my grades were pretty bad uh, okay to, uh, to make up for, for it and stuff but i was uh I don't know, my senior year i got really really into it and i was i was still a year behind but still on the college art like focus group i guess of mm. uh kids that are going to go to art school right. and i remember uh getting really into it really involved in painting uh that senior year in high school oh, okay because i was um, I ever got an oil painting kit and everything. And oh wow! Just did um, painted everything I possibly could, you know. Right. Um, what, what, yeah, so that was. I guess I was kind of the start of being really, really interested in it. Yeah. So you must have been you, you must have been good at that age, right? Because I mean, if you were in uh, the advanced art classes in high school, you must have. I, I, was, I was okay. I mean, I think I, I liked it a lot more than 
you know, I, then I was, then I could actually complete. I, I remember my, I think I looked at my portfolio like, like six or seven months ago from high school or something. I came across the slides mm-hmm. that we sent out to art schools and they were pretty bad. Oh, you I'd know, love to see them. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's okay. A lot of color pencil work and portraits. And I did start, um, I did, I was really lucky. I grew up right outside Philadelphia uh-huh. in New Jersey. And so Philly was only like 10, 15 minutes away. Uh-huh. And so I, I would take classes in at some of the, the universities in Philly when I was a kid, um, when I was like 16 or 17, mm. taking uh, art classes, studying from the model then which was crazy. I remember yeah. my first model, first, actually the first live nude woman I saw, I think at 15 mm. <laughs> was, yep. in, uh, was in art class. <laughs> and I guess the, the original model had canceled and they brought a woman that they found literally, I think off the street. <laughs> and it was just, she talked to herself the entire time and then she was crazy looking. And, and that was, uh, kind of destroyed my life a little bit. <laughs> I had, you know what? I had something similar happen. Um, the first, I used to take a life drawing class at a community, community college in San Pedro. Yeah. And um, when I was like 16 and uh, this guy was really great. He's a really, really great artist. And <clears throat> we were supposed to have a woman doing uh, nude cause we were doing life drawing. And he's like, well, she, uh, the model canceled for today. So I guess I'll be your model. And he just gets naked right in front of us. It was just what? like, so weird. <laughs> it was just such a weird experience. <laughs> but yeah. You get used to it. I mean, it sounds I'm, like some leaving, leaving Neverland shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like an adult education class. And, me and, oh, my, okay. me and my friend were like the youngest ones in there. And, and we were a little bit, you know, we'd had, my dad's a painter. So I grew up around, yeah nude reference everywhere in the house it was it was i just it never was weird to me and my friends would come over and be like oh ooh, naked ladies all over and i just didn't even occur to me because it was like second nature but oh, um, right <laughs> it was kind of weird seeing this guy who's been teaching us drawing just get naked like that but it was kind of funny yeah but, is he still a teacher now i don't know I, t- I totally lost touch with them i, I moved out <laughs> of san pedro and lost touch of with a lot of those people so um I don't know. I don't know. He was great though. He was really good. I got a lot out of that. I only took like, I don't know, a semester of it. And it made a huge difference in my, in my uh, drawing ability. I think my painting ability. He also taught colored pencil. Okay. And it looked the way he did it was like, it looked just like oil painting. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. I guess I've heard that people do that. They can add like some certain mediums or something that kind of rubs the pencil together. Yeah. Cool stuff. No, it wasn't uh, a medium. It was a matter of doing little tiny circles of the colored pencil and you press really hard and then you use, use like white and it okay. kind of opaques it out a little bit. It was really weird. I still have this, this uh, drawing of a flower I did and it looked, re- oh, it looked like on. an oil painting. It's pretty interesting. Oh, that's cool. But anyway. So anyway, what was, what, what was your schooling like? <laughs> I'm more interested in, in, in your experiences <laughs> and I know what I've been through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my schooling was, I was, I was, I, I took a couple of community college classes, but I wanted to get into the film business. You know, that's where my background is, is makeup effects. Yeah. So, yeah. but I was, I had, uh, my brother's friend went to art center. And so that was like the only college I knew we're, we're, my family's very blue collar. So it's not like any of us, anyone went to college really. Um, 
So I didn't know anything about art colleges. And I was just like, oh, Art Center seems cool. I went and visited there once. And I was just about to go. I got the grants and everything. And um, and I bailed at the last minute. And I didn't didn't go because I knew I could get into the film business oh, right on. without it. And so within a year, I got into the movie business. And, and that ended up being kind of its own education, working around yeah. these artists. You yeah. Know? Yeah, real life education. Yeah, yeah, better. <laughs> yeah, but you must have had a good experience in school because you you are one of those highly educated painters, right? Really, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like the education I think I had that really helped me the most was just. Um, so I, I when I first when I graduated, I went to, I went to Syracuse University um, for illustration mm. and got a BFA, and that that was cool. It didn't, they didn't really teach a lot of, it was like business skills and how to deal with deadlines and, and how to deal with art directors. And mm. there was really great art history classes that I loved and um, really amazing electives so that I, I took a lot of writing classes and philosophy classes, which is great because it was different than high school. And, you know, you actually get to think for yourself. Right. which is pretty amazing. And, and you're writing stuff that you're creating, right. which was great. Some fiction classes and some, and just, I think that's made me a pretty well-round uh, artist. Cause mm-hmm. I kind of uh, delve into that stuff a lot. And I try to really think about painting right. as opposed to just painting something. Right. right. Um, you know, I really want like a purpose or a meaning behind what I do. And I think that those classes kind of set up my, thought process in a way that I wanted everything to be important and um, just moving in that direction of, of seriousness, I guess. Right. You know? And meaning. Yeah. And meaning. And, and I, I, and I had, a, I had one teacher in particular, I only had one class with this guy, but he was like, a, he's a legend in um, figurative painting circles. His name is Jerome Whitkin. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone should look him up. If you're if dark arts, he's he's so um, just an amazing figurative painter. It's as if a um, an abstract expressionist painter could actually paint the figure. Wow! His paintings are just insanely energetic and and just they're they're a little dark. Also, you oh know yeah, I mean? yeah. Very, very serious. I'm looking now. It's amazing. Yeah, and he has a he has a twin brother who probably everybody's heard of. Uh, uh, Joel Peterwick. Oh, no way. That's his brother. Artist. I'm a That's hu- his brother. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Joel Peter Wicken. <laughs> yeah. He, he was Joel a- Peter Wicken lives out here. Actually. I'm in Albuquerque. I moved out here about a year, year ago. And oh, no way. Yeah. Joel Peter Wicken lives here. Have you, have you ever met I, him? Like, I haven't met him yet. I have friends that have been like art assistants to him uh-huh. and I want to do a painting of him oh, really yeah. badly. You, should, you definitely should. Just as an excuse to get to meet him. Yeah. You know, but I heard he's, he's, he's a cool guy. He just hangs out, you know? Wow. Yeah. But, uh, and I think he's, I think he's a little bit more laid back than his brother. His brother, uh, like Jerome is just really intense. Like he would say stuff in class. I remember it was like, you have to destroy yourself to build yourself. Like, <laughs> like it's just crazy, like dogmatic mm-hmm. axioms, right. uh, that were just nuts. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that you had to like decipher. Old he, school. Would, he would throw paintings out the door if you like them, and and it was like like a serious serious art time, right? You know, which is which is crazy. Which I'm always trying to be the antithesis when I teach, right? You know, because I figure this is such a hard gig anyway. 
uh, let's come at it from a perspective of uh, just really enjoying what we're doing so that we're here and right. we're open to learning more versus yeah, absolutely. Like, being stressed out about what the instructor thinks. Yeah. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember hearing stories of, I think it was Bern Ho- Hogarth. Yeah. About him teaching. I think it was him. And if I'm wrong, I apologize, but um, I guess he used to chew tobacco. And he was really rough on his students. And if he didn't like something you were doing, he would just like spit tobacco juice on the drawing. Oh, <laughs> and same thing, like throw work out the door and kind of yell. And but yeah, that doesn't seem like a good work uh, learning environment to me. But hey, what do I know? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, you hear so many of those horror stories. I think it's lessening now. Right, yeah. I think because uh, most art schools won't, even, won't flunk anybody at all. Because they're getting like they want their two hundred thousand dollars in in tuition over the time period. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. In a lot of cases, it just turns into like the thirteenth grade, right? You know, <laughs> for a lot of people, and just these uh, kids are really privileged and entitled. Yeah, now. yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> not <in> my day. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, uh, you, you, that was a, a good experience for you. Did you? Did you uh, start showing professionally while you were in school or did that happen after school or what happened after that, after you graduated? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really had a hardcore wanting to be an illustrator background and, and, and do that. I was, I was really into the history of illustration and, mm-hmm. and history of um, artists that were, that inspired illustration, you know, like, yeah. like, well, Howard. Pyle and Robert Henry and John Sloan, yep. all of those guys. And so when I when I got out of school, I wanted to kind of follow in those footsteps. And while I was in school, I, I showed a few times in New York um, through the the Society of Illustrators has a big exhibition every year of uh, student work mm-hmm. that was really competitive, highly competitive that uh, I would enter every year. And I've gotten a few pieces into the shows and. They, they publish them in an annual every year. And so that was kind of cool. And then yeah. they also do a professional show that I think I got into when I was a student also for a watercolor that I did. And I used to do a lot of watercolor and acrylic when oh, I was wow. in college. I didn't really get back. I did oils in high school and, and a little bit of oils in college. Um, but I did mostly watercolor and acrylic stuff. And then when I moved to right after graduation, literally two weeks after graduation, I moved to New York and uh i was i had to get a real job and and everything mm. and so basically started i hooked up with some alumni from syracuse and got a job doing internet design graphic design mm-hmm. which was pretty awesome actually just being able to kind of focus on design yeah. as a, as a and, and learn learn programs and all that stuff was really awesome learning photoshop and and illustrator and design and all that stuff. Yeah. It's been super, super helpful to anything I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know? I'm sure. I mean, when I got into digital, uh, I got really into digital 3D animation and stuff. And I learned yeah. so much about lighting and specular, specular highlights and all these weird things I'd never really thought of as a, you know, to, that I could apply to painting. Yeah. 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 No, I see that stuff all the time in uh, when I paint from life and, and everything that so many people leave out. Right. You know, they don't really understand specular highlights and how light computer refraction and all that stuff. Crazy though. Yeah. Yeah. Computers just blow away anything that we can create. You know what I mean? And they make it in three D and walk around it. It's like I don't know, painting's kinda lagging behind. 
Yeah. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> yeah, but painting's got the painting has an original though. You know, that's what paint where yeah. painting will always win is there is an original piece that you can hold in your hand. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Definitely that's kind of what I dig about it. There just seems yeah. to have more there just seems to be more feels like there's more value there. There's something I don't know that has weight. You know, I love it when you when you have a light canvas and then you paint on it and when you're done it's heavier and you can feel yeah, yeah. feel the weight of it. It's like ah, it feels so satisfying. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think of that all the time. The uh, the weight of of the thought that you've put into the painting, right? You know, is, is captured by that surface. You know, and it's it's uh, yeah, you're taking something that's completely like nothing, and you're actually creating something that's like you said, a one of a kind. It's pretty pretty seductive. Yeah, you know, as as uh, as ways to explain what it is we're doing, and that's not outdated and outdated, and that it does have value that people want to like, give money for. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. You, 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 uh, how long did you work in that field before you started kind of exhibiting? Yeah, so I, I, uh, so I was sort of studying at the league at the same time, the Art Students League in New York, mm -hmm. and uh, taking night classes, and then painting, uh, painting at night and during the day, or during the day I was working. And then, um, Basically, after 9-11, my company downsized. I, was, I moved from one company to another company only about two years. Mm -hmm. I got to New York in 1999, and um, luckily I got representation right away from just through some paintings I did, um, luckily, That's cool. uh, at a gallery. In, 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 they were in Soho at the time. Okay. And from there, I um, just kind of wanted to pursue that avenue a little bit more than the graphic design stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, like, after 9 11, um, the company I was with downsized from 60 people down to six. Wow. Only. And so, all my buddies were, were getting, uh, getting other jobs and everything. And I decided to just uh, take the unemployment insurance that I got mm -hmm. uh, from 9 11 and uh, use that to go back to school and train for another job uh so i did the art students league full-time wow. after that okay. and so then I basically and that, that's really addictive because uh the art students league you, you basically pay per month and you get um three hours a day well weekdays right so five five days a week you're painting for three hours from in most cases a, a month-long painting pose mm -hmm. right from a model and then Basically, you can do that, and then you can do an afternoon class and an evening class, and you know you can be working from life all day, which is pretty incredible. Oh yeah, uh, experience sounds like and so, so much that's, fun. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I did. Wow. Uh, I went to school there, and I, I did it until uh, two thousand and well, two thousand six. My son was born, uh -huh. uh, and so I stopped. So it was about almost five years, I think, straight of doing that. Wow. With different instructors at the league. Yeah, and, and then I, and then that last year I won a, won a, a scholarship finally to actually get a free class. Mm -hmm. And I had to, and I couldn't use it during the day cause I was a stay at home dad. So I took cla a class at night. Wow. So I did another year of a class at night with uh, an artist, Costa Vaviakis, okay. a Greek winner who, who is been at the league for a while. And so I took his nighttime painting class. And so I just worked all the time from life. And I swore at that time, I only wanted to work from life. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That uh, I didn't want to do anything from photos or 
anything. And then once my son was born, I didn't have access to models as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to try to learn how to be a better photographer so that I could work from photos. Okay. You know, find, find photos that had as much information as what I needed to paint from life. You know, and right. so as digital technologies got better and better and better since early 2000s. That's actually helped my work a lot. Oh, you know, wow. I, can, I can go a little bigger now, right, you know, right. with digital stuff that is in camera raw, like everybody knows, right. how to use whatever. So then I can really almost edit my photos to find out where the shadows and highlights are, change the color temperature of the photos. Mm-hmm. So it kind of moved more towards that. And uh, especially for the project that I'm working on right now, I can't have people sit for me for life. Um, so it's it's been it's been kind of the switching gears thing right you know, that for the last maybe five or six years right what's the maybe project Please. oh um so I'm, I'm painting um i guess dark arts people would love it <laughs> probably <laughs> the darkest time in 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 modern history absolutely uh, uh, easily the i'm painting the um i'm painting a series of survivors of the Shoah of the of the holocaust so right now, um, trying to get funding and everything to do this big exhibition in um, Los Angeles in September. Oh, cool. And we've gotten a lot of funding, which has been incredible. So I've been able to travel to, um, I've been all over the United States, uh, San Antonio, Los Angeles a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I live in Albuquerque. I've been to New York and Queens and pretty much around New Jersey and we recently just got a big grant to go to, um, uh, where did we go? We went, well, we used the money to go to LA. We used the money to go to New Jersey to meet one survivor there. Mm-hmm. And then we flew up to Toronto, London, and then Warsaw, and then Krakow to visit Auschwitz wow. and to film. Wow. And so it's me, me and a videographer. I travel. So I want to document, not just paint the, the folks. I want to paint, I want to get video documentation of them. Uh, in conversation as right. well, so it gives the paintings a little bit more context and a little bit more um, more life to them. You know, right. so you get these video portraits that really show what their lives are like. You can hear their voice, yeah, which I think is amazing. Which I think adds to oh yeah, what we do and and really just make a document about right. this person right now. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been I've been uh, following yeah. your patreon page i subscribe to that and uh yeah no it's it's such a great idea um it's it's really brilliant and it and it's like one of the most powerful uses of painting and art um that i've seen i can't think of a time i've i've seen something so i don't know kind of profound in, in the art world i can't think of another time i've seen anything like that it's like I felt like this is the ultimate kind of thing you can do as an artist. You know, if you get the right idea, it's uh, extremely powerful. I mean, I I was watching those videos and stuff and, and, you know, they, I started crying, you know, because it's just so, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's any, it's just, it's horrendous and it, and it's amazing to, that you're able to um, kind of come up with this idea to honor these people's suffering and, um, and 
and turn it into something beautiful. You know? Yeah. I mean? Ultimately, like the stories are pretty heart or heartbreaking, but then they also be, are become pretty inspiring. Right. Yeah. In, in their survival, which is uh, kind of the take I want to take from it mm-hmm. is kind of the idea that this person's 80 or 90 years old, you know, or almost a hundred and they won, you know right. what I mean? And this idea of the uh, flower being pushed up from the concrete, you know right, what I mean? That's right. still, after all the atrocities and everything, I don't want to dwell in the atrocities so much because right. there's so much written about that. And, yep. and sometimes I just kind of leave it up to the survivor to talk about what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Some, it, some it's all about family. Uh, some is about the about their family that they lost because they want to memorialize them yeah. so that they're not forgotten. Uh, some, some people, and they're, I like their, their different coping mechanisms that they've used mm-hmm. also is really interesting in, in understanding humanity as a whole. Some yeah. people are like, yeah, it was no big deal, whatever. Right. Uh, and then some people are still in the camps in their heads. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is really sad. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been really eye-opening. Uh, as a as a people person and a people painter, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I guess I'm not a people person. I'm actually pretty introverted, but right. as a person who cares about painting human beings and, and that kind of um, just trying to make them as realistic and um, as living as possible, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like this is these are the people that are living the most in a way, right? You know what I mean? Because they've they've been through the worst. And yeah, so yeah. it's um, definitely been a, a challenge. They're also at, at the end of their lives and you're kind of memorializing them or kind of giving them a, a sort of immortality in a way. The a armor, little bit. You know, yeah. especially, you know, it's especially because of the way, you know, the stuff you do is so realistic that it's, it's another layer of, of the idea of paintings, keeping people and ideas kind of immortal in a way, you know? Yeah, there's a there's a Herman Hess quote where he talks about rescuing, um, rescue like the art art that can rescue something from the dance of death. Right. It's really an uh, interesting quote. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely uh, Google that. Okay. <laughs> I, I did not do the uh, the best uh, uh, do it the best uh, <laughs> do it justice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the paint teams in the studio are getting to me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's this idea of rescuing something from oblivion, right. you know, with, uh, with paint, if you can. Yeah, you yeah. Know, who knows if any of our paintings are going to be um, important 100 years from now. We don't know. Right, right. You know, so, so for me, it's, uh, it, I have been kind of taking a little bit of a selfish thing is this is, uh, this is, what I want to do, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, and if, if it helps people, that's even <laughs> that's even even better, right. you know. Or or if that, so I've never I never think of the lofty lofty aspects of the paintings, right? Right. You know what I mean? Of what they can do, because a lot of people don't even like it when I paint them. <laughs> yeah, people, right. a lot of people have uh, told me that they don't want me to paint them. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not. It's, I think it would be really egotistical to be like, yes, I am saving them and memorializing right, right. amazing people. And I'm like, I guess so. But I mean, yeah, some people appreciate it. Some people don't, you know, for me, it's, I got to take what I can take from it. And, um, yeah, it's been like, it's been really hard for, for getting people to give a shit about paintings too. Right. When it comes to this and that's been tough. 
um, the patrons have been amazing. So thank you so much for that support. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Everyone should. What it, what's the address? I'll put it in the yeah. links too, but go ahead and say it. Oh yeah, I think it's just I think it's just patreon.com David Casson. Okay. K A S S A N. Cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And I think even like a, a dollar a day or a dollar yeah. or whatever a month or something is cool or yeah. Or whatever. Uh but yeah, I I've been posting on there a little bit. Like we've had survivors that were we have one guy, Joshua, that was on the State of the Union address. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was crazy. It was used as a prop, I felt. Oh, but yeah. The government. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go into politics, but that was kind of upsetting, even though that guy loves Trump. Oh, it's yeah. So a, I don't know why survivors like it, like it's, him. I guess it's the Israel is a one, uh, one issue voters. Right. When it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. I know an Israeli guy who's super pro Trump. Oof. So weird. He's the coolest guy. <laughs> he's so nice. I love him. Yeah. And then he's like, loves Trump. <laughs> I don't oh, know. God. But I guess we won't go into that. Yeah, yeah. That's another issue. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. I need like I need whiskey. Yeah. You can't do that like at three in the afternoon. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> right. Afternoon. I, I just I, I, I understand what you're saying, how you know you didn't have these this these huge lofty goals and you're kind of just following your own artistic um impulse by doing these but what i took from it was you know that's that's what i read into it everything i said that it's it's like important and it kind of like felt like this is what you know because i'm always viewing things through this dark art lens because that's my thing right and um and and it's it's very similar to what i've always said that dark art at its best can be is uh, honoring suffering and turning something negative into something positive, you know, turning something ugly into something beautiful, this kind of transmutation of energies. Oh, right on. And so I, I really felt like a kinship in that way. But um, just anytime art makes me feel something, it's that's, that's what matters the most to me, you know? And, and when I see someone doing something, it makes me, you know, that can make me cry or make me feel pain or, or anything really. I, I just, I automatically uh, take notice because to me, that's kind of like, you know, the greatest thing you can do is make people feel or, you know, feel empathy or sympathy or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely my goal. You know, my goal really is to, um, I don't even think of myself really as a painter so much as I want these to be documented to people. They're all life size. Mm-hmm. And so I want them, I mean, ultimately like Trump Floyd figures like mm-hmm. that are in your space that you can have that can bring empathy to the viewer and compassion and, right. and hopefully teach, teach lessons about like just not repeating that and mm-hmm. just not dehumanizing another person. Right. You know, it's, it's trying to humanize a painting more and more. And so that I don't, I don't want to be in the paintings at all. Mm-hmm. I want them to just speak for themselves right. as opposed to um, any of my ego getting involved in the painting. Yeah. And so yeah. that's really, really key for, I just gotta, I want to step away from it and let the painting kind of have the person in their lives speak for themselves in, yeah. in the work. And if I do, if I do, if I do my job successfully, um, you won't see me in it. You right. Know, yeah, that that's I mean I've I've said that as well um before about 
the stuff that I do as much as, you know, that I think people can see my work and know that I'm the guy who did it at the same time when I'm painting, I feel like I'm always trying to stay out of the way and I'm trying to, um, allow the painting to be what it wants to be. That's like, that's my job as an artist. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm there to facilitate this painting as if it's, if it's its own living thing, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And it's, and it's, that's kind of the, the magical spiritual aspect of art. I think is that it's so weird. Yeah. In that way. <laughs> no, totally. You know, it's, it's, it's a trip. It's, it's hard to explain that's, to someone. That's the, the, yeah. That's like the mystery of it, which mm -hmm. is pretty, pretty cool. And that's like in the search, you know what I mean? Like, right. I love that you can go to, uh, you can go look at a Rembrandt painting in the museums right now. And, and you can, I get really nerdy and I, I get, like the romance of that the paint is not um paint never dries fully oil paint mm -hmm. it's just the molecules slow down over time yeah. and so for me i think that that painting that was painted over 400 years ago is still alive right you know? so those molecules are still there they're just moving slower right you know and so there's still that kind of underlying presence to the paintings yeah. that, that just, uh, blow my mind yeah. As, a, as an art geek. <laughs> yeah, that's a trip to think of it yeah. like that. Um, so, you know, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about technique, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, you, your stuff was presented when I first saw it. I don't, I don't remember when it was, but it was, it was a long time ago. I saw I first saw your, your work online and it was you were kind of presented as a photorealist but it's like i never really thought of you as a photorealist i just thought of you as like a painter that was really good okay right you know, I, it just I, I i saw you know i don't know i, I saw the brushwork and i don't know if it's i mean i i just it just seemed like you know you're into painting this kind of really realistic stuff but it didn't feel overpainted to me you know what i mean you know some of that some of that photoreal stuff is just so like i mean it's amazing too and, and i don't I'm not knocking it at all. It's its own thing. But um, I don't know. I saw, I always saw more kind of brush. <laughs> it's like, it's like, a, it's, it's like David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> this is a really bad reference. When you said it's its own thing, uh, did you ever see David S. Pumpkins? No. <laughs> you don't know who that is? Uh, it's like an SL skit. Okay. <laughs> it's like this, uh, the Halloween, Halloween uh, SNL, Saturday Night Live. Um, they have Tom, Tom Hanks is this guy and, and uh, they're like, I don't get it. What is he a part of? And you're like, he's its own thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, you guys should check that out. We'll put that in the comments or something. Okay. <laughs> it's so Sorry. I, I joke around that with my fiance about that stupid stuff all the time. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really think of myself as a photorealist. I think, you know what it is, is, is that 99.9% .9 of people that ever see my artwork in person uh, see it online. Right. right. Which is, which is not life size, which is not, um, you know, it, it can get really heady and conceptual here, but if, if I painted a person very, very realistically, and then you took a photo of that painting and you also took the photo of a person like with the painting or whatever, and you present it to somebody, the painting, the painting becomes flat like a photograph right? because we're using photographic technology techniques to capture it mm -hmm. and so the same things that it does to a human being the the pitfalls that photography does to uh to humans right, right. so there's things that photos do that kind of suck 
like their edges are indiscriminate mm-hmm. and the um, color is indiscriminate and things get crunched together. So you don't get all the information that you would want to paint something from life. Right. So all that stuff uh, does that to the painting that you painted of the realistic thing. And so then and you shrink it down to two inches by three inches right. on a screen or something. And it looks everything that that's beautiful and tactile and textured in a painting gets lost. Yeah. And that's such an important part of it. Luminosity. Yeah. And I love, love texture. I'm not like a Lucian Freud guy with texture or a Van Gogh. Right. You know what I mean? I want texture to kind of serve the purpose of the subject mm-hmm. in a painting, but there's definite, I want people to feel areas that are rough in my paintings and the backgrounds and feel the smoothness sometimes of skin and, and then the roughness, almost like, um, like just music, you know, that has different uh, ebbs and flows of distortion yeah. in areas. Some areas will be clean and smooth, and I, I want my surfaces to be that way. Right. Also, so like you don't see that um, at seventy-two DPI right. on online, or and prints are even the worst. You know what I mean? Right. And it's not life size, and so um, I definitely want. I would, if you love an artist or like an artist or whatever, go see their work in person and hopefully it'll blow your mind even more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, than, than what you'll see online. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. I always equate it to uh, a, seeing a band live versus hearing the CD. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's a totally different experience. Oh, geez. Yeah. Live music is amazing. Yeah, it is. There's like, there's a whole, this whole, element of this energy that comes from a, from a great band that is, you can't, yeah. you can't even describe it. It's so weird. Yeah, no, I totally, I never thought of that as a live band and that's, that's great. Yeah. I, and that's, <laughs> that's why, that's why I feel like, you know, as much as I'm, I've adopted the, uh, or I've adapted to the internet as far as how I sell my work and promote myself. I, usually do a solo show a year because you know it's kind of the culmination of it. it's like the ultimate is to be able to see the work in person yeah you know? no i totally agree I mean, people are always talking about how instagram's going to kill the traditional art yeah, gallery yeah. and i don't i don't really think so i, yeah, mean, I don't think so either um i actually have not had a solo show in forever since like 2012 wow and um so now i'm, I'm having uh my first museum show Oh, coming up at the end of uh, in September in LA. Yeah, I'll, I'll, so that's going to be. Let me know. I'm definitely like, come I'll out. To it. Yeah, I'll definitely go to it for sure. Yeah, open September seventeenth. Uh, cool. And we're hoping to have some survivors at the opening and oh, amazing and I'm unveiling this big eighteen foot painting that I'm working on right yeah, now. Yeah, that um, is that is crazy. That that thing. That's what you've been working on on Patreon, right? Yeah, for about two years now. Yeah. yeah. So what is the surface you're painting on? I've been wanting to ask you this forever. It's, yeah, so it's an it's an acrylic mirror. How did you figure so that out? <laughs> is that like a thing that people do or what? I'd never even uh, heard of that. No, I mean, I'm I'm I always play around with different materials. I'm never happy. Although this this is probably my happiest material. <laughs> wow. I don't like um I don't like painting on canvas or or anything with a weave mm-hmm. on it that looks like painting because again that idea that I want them to look like people. Right. Um and I think if you had canvas weave on a painting, a lot of cases it, it's like a tell. Yeah. It like right. it says painting. Yeah. When you see like woven texture over a face mm-hmm. or something, it's kinda like, oh that's just a painting. Yeah, you know, is 
you can't really, I feel like you don't feel the person as much, hmm. you know, that doesn't mean I don't like artists that paint on canvas right. at all, but just, just, your just for my, just for my own work, hmm. you know what I mean? I'm uh, I, I always got a preface preface that I love uh, loose brushy painting as much as I like realism or whatever, but it's just not how I, how I see my work. Yeah. You know what I mean? The purposefulness of my work. Yeah. And, sure. um, so, and, and to, to kind of just, uh, separate painting from, uh, other mediums like photography and everything else, I love the idea of using different materials that give me a more luminous surface. Mm-hmm as much as possible and a surface that I could get more tactile as well. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit more depth. And that's what the, the mirror, uh, uh, gives me. And it's basically a, an acrylic mirror. So it's, I'm painting pretty much on a, an acrylic panel. That's transparent, right? It's so weird. And then the back of the panel has like a sticker that is of a, ref, of a reflective mirror mm-hmm. quality. So it's the mirror comes through the board and so traditionally, when you paint your darks, um, they're a little bit more um, transparent than your lights. Right. Lights are lights going to sit on that surface and, and come out. And that's where all the texture is, is in the, uh, the light and the halftones. Mm-hmm. And so the, um, you don't want a lot of uh, texture in your shadows when you're painting realism because you don't want that to pick up the light in the room right. and make it brighter than the lights in the actual figures that have that are in the light mm-hmm. within the painting you know what i mean so yeah. so my darks tend to be really smooth and really transparent and so what that does with the the acrylics is that imagine like a glass tabletop like an inch thick right mm-hmm. and you see through it and then you take a mirror and you put it underneath there but you can imagine how if you're doing transparent glazes for the darks and then you paint the lights have a thickness to them that block out the light. Right. And they sit on the surf on the top of that surface, how much depth you can get. Wow. That's because you're interesting. Kind of seeing through you're seeing through those those darks. That's and so- you get you get double the space because of that there's a there's space inside the painting. Right. Before it hits the mirror. And that then is a the trip. Light, <laughs> and then light passes through those upper layers also. And creates a little bit more luminosity right. instead of doing something directly on a on a dead, um, like gesso layer, right? You know, like that might be white, but you're still painting directly on it. You don't give it in the room and the depth that the painting deserves. I feel, you know, and it, it's like um, that space in the painting is just kind of. It's also very like um, conceptual, also. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you're painting these people, and, and there's kind of the space in between. The, the surface so it can trap something spiritual you know right I mean? yeah so did, did you like do a lot of testing before you did committed to this large piece yeah you know i've been painting on the same surface for about five years now oh really yeah and so when i when i wanted to do the big one i was like i have to figure out how to do it on this surface and the panels aren't that the panel panels only come in um what's this biggest size i think if i eight by 10 mm-hmm. uh, is what the panel size is usually mm-hmm. for these. And so what I was able to do is I was able to get a place to make, I did five panels. So it's 11 figures are in the painting and I, I kind of grouped it together so that I could do five, uh, five panels of um, like two or three figures each, each mm-hmm. panel and have them, have them seamed. So they aren't all exactly the same size. I think one's 49 across 
one's 33 inches across, you know, mm-hmm. and then we just really played with the, uh, how they were going to connect to one another in the big painting. And so that way I can actually get it to LA without a semi truck. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it was really interesting. I learned a lot of cool stuff. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what a, a so I know a, a diptych, I know a triptych, mm-hmm. but I don't know what you call something after three panels. Yeah. And I learned that this time. What is it? A good question. <laughs> it's a it's a, a polyptic. Wow. So it's like poly, poly, many. Oh. And so that just kind of kind of blew my mind as a as yeah. An <laughs> what a trip! <laughs> I'd never heard yeah. that. Yeah. Nobody knows. I didn't know. I'm like, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, one of the curators at the museum uh, had said it. I'm like, what? So an- anything anything past three is a polyptic. Yep, this is a polyptic. Ah. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they they probably already know. Yeah. The listeners, they're like, what, why are we they're turning off the podcast right now? Because <laughs> they're like, what is this bullshit? These so, idiots. <laughs> I I'm kind of fa- I'm I'm kind of fascinated about this surface now. Sorry, sorry to keep harping on it, but did you how did you discover it? Is this something other artists use or is this your own invention? Oh, um yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's other artists that use it. I don't, I, I mean, you know, back in the days when the internet started, um, <laughs> there was a lot of art forums mm-hmm. and everything before Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. I was a member of all these art forums and people would test out different materials. And I became friends with <clears throat> uh, friends with this guy. I'm going to grab some water here for a sec. Okay. Uh, I became no friends with this guy who is, uh, he's like a monitor, moderator on all these art forums yeah. and everything. And, and it turned out that he had like, two or three phds and was like a oncology doctor research doctor in london and everything and so i just became kind of friends with him over the years and uh i've run all my material ideas past him oh, okay. and uh i was playing around with this idea of painting on uh on trans uh translucent because it was kind of frosted mm-hmm. uh like mylar right. and then I played around with that a little bit, did some studies on mylar, and I didn't like that it wasn't thick and it wasn't like a, a super stable surface for painting. And then I switched over to finding a um, like an eighth inch thick mirror that had um, that was completely clear, but also kind of roughed up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and painted a, a figure on that. Wow! And then I was like, well, this is kind of cool, but what if I put? I was thinking about what backgrounds to put on the painting, and it was kind of neat because the painting would change based on. If I put a blue background behind the panel, oh, weird. if I put a green background behind the panel and all that stuff. And I want to go back to that mm-hmm. eventually. But then I, I thought if I put a mirror behind it, it would be so much more reflective right. and more luminous. That's... And so, so I went to the store and they had all these samples of different materials that are acrylic mirrors that they actually have in different colors. And I was at Canal, Canal Plastics in, uh, in New York. And just got a whole bunch of samples and just played around with them and, and wanted to make sure what I was doing was archival. Right. So I messaged that guy, uh, his name's Dave Corcoran. He lives in London about, uh, the archivalness of the uh, panels. And he's like, yeah, it should be perfectly fine. I was like, so all I do it really for the surface is I sand it Mm -hmm. and, uh, I just do an oil glaze of oil. So I don't even use gesso or anything. Wow. That's amazing. I think that the only thing that might ever happen is if it gets really hot, or the plastic might either like melt, become brittle yeah. in some way. 
but other i mean you can find something wrong with every material right. out there yeah you know and this stuff doesn't warp or anything it's um it's pretty cool you know yeah. and i have like i have buddies well right now what i'm working on is only an eighth inch thick so it's a little floppy when you go really big right um, so right now i have it attached to some foam core sheets to give it some rigidity mm-hmm. and then i have some buddies of mine that are driving out this is the most expensive part of my project was building these um the backings yeah. i had some buddies built some uh black walnut framings for the uh for the paintings and they're going to come in and attach the paintings the, the painting that i'm working on to the back frames mm-hmm. um glue them together uh, at the end almost like in two weeks which i'm wow. excited about because wow. i feel like the painting will be uh, almost finished then yeah and i think and i think at the exhibit they want to actually maybe make the paintings free floating in the middle of the room oh, or wow. stand it up like an altar yeah which might be really interesting yeah in the museum so i'm, I'm thinking about that that's super cool but uh yeah that's kind of how i guess i came across it you know i'm always experimenting with different paints and uh, a lot of paint companies will send me paint to try out uh-huh. Uh, different mediums. I made a medium with that with that same guy Dave in London. Uh, he studied with me. I taught out in Belgium for a month back in 2010, and I just I during the weekend I went to Amsterdam to look at the Rembrandt paintings, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking about because I was painting pretty intensely at that time and teaching, and then looking at these paintings, I was like, well, what, I'd love to have a medium that could get me this quality, right? right? That was transparent that also had impasto and that had a different light refraction in a different way because oil paint today is kind of, we're kind of screwed in a way for luminosity and painting because of the way that pigments are, are, are um, pretty much oil. Oil painting is such a small market in the world right. that we don't have like designated pigment um, dealers. Right. Right. So all the pigment for oils and, and whatever and, and acrylic come from industrial sources. Right. Yeah. Uh, mostly for the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. And so the automotive industry, they want consistency. They don't care about a luminous surface right. so much on a, on, on a car. <laughs> right. So they, um, but that's where all the, all the oil paint companies get their pigments also from the same source. And so all the pigment sizes are all, all pulverized to be completely uniform. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, they would grind their own pigments and rocks and everything, right? right. And beetles and pretty cool and, and mummies. Yeah. Like that's my ultimate goal. Did you ever hear about mummy brown? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> like my goal. That's the to coolest have. color ever. Oh, God. There's this great <laughs> book called The Mummy Congress, and they, they talk about uh, mummy brown. It's always been my goal is to go on eBay and just set an alert for uh, old, old paint boxes uh-huh, and yeah. buy like old, old Victorian paint boxes and to get one that has a tube from like the 19th century of, of mummy Brown. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> that's like my ultimate, that's like one of my grails. Yeah. And like just to have a tube of that. Yeah. Uh, that's in a creepy cool. way. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, you don't have to, you know, <laughs> you don't have to justify it to me. I'm the last person oh, no. you have to justify that to. <laughs> no, I think, I think it'd be awesome. It would just be amazing. To, just to see a photo of it, you know, yeah. I didn't have, Real great cameras back then, <laughs> right? <laughs> After paint paint tubes and stuff, but yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, the um, I totally got off topic. Oh, but the uh, the medium that I wanted to do is so so. Uh, the way paint pigments are nowadays is that back then they grind their own, and so it was different particle sizes, right? So right. basically, what pigment is is particle being wrapped in oil, 
right? And then combined with other particles that are wrapped in oil. So they basically grind through pigment and they wrap it in oil as they grind it, mm-hmm. right, down um, through, through the, when they mill it through their uh, paint mills. Mm-hmm. And so the, so back in the day, they, they did everything by hand and, and then they would still mill it. But particle sizes were different, so light could pass through it in different ways. Right. right so it was a little bit more translucent mm. the, the the paint quality right and nowadays because of these uh industrial sources everything is uh compact and everything's the same size so there's less space for paint to travel mm. and light to travel in between oil paints wow which is kind of interesting yeah. scientifically um so you and so the uh, so I wanted my medium to kind of break that structure apart. Okay. Uh, when you added it to paint and make it a little bit more um, more varied. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. So that's something that we made up, and and now Dave sells the paint medium uh, on his website. Wow. Um, Is that what you use? Yeah, yeah. I use that, and I use um, stand oil and just walnut alkyd. I oh, try okay. to keep. As simple as possible. What's it? What's it? <laughs> what's it? Uh, what's your medium called, and where can you get it? Oh, it's called a, a CMK medium, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Dave Corcoran. I don't know exactly how to spell all that. Okay, but you can Google it. I'm we'll sure figure it out. Yeah. How oh, cool! That's amazing. You, <laughs> you, you're kind of a. a um, you've got a an inventor's mind, I guess, because you you. Also, didn't you design the um, parallel palette? Oh yeah, that's yeah. I, I know that you worked you worked with somebody else, but but um, was that your design? Yeah, yeah. Me and my buddy um, uh, Dave Lemire, who uh, who I went to high school with and stuff, and, and one of my good buddies who lives in New York. Um, I did. I was working with another guy just to make make them by hand the mm-hmm. parallel palettes, and then we were grabbing drinks one night, and he's like, "Dude, we should do a Kickstarter." And- <laughs> get this thing made like maybe 3d printed or something and i was like yeah sure let's try it whatever mm-hmm. and uh and then we did like a kickstarter for it and raised some good money and i had fun marketing it which was kind of cool and then i had fun learning how to how to uh engineer something for manufacture yeah, that, yeah that's <laughs> gonna be interesting which is really crazy i'm sure you've done it you know what i mean where yeah, it, like mold yeah. Yeah. and everything yeah yeah it's uh Super, super interesting. I mean, painting is really, really fun, and I and I love that. But I also love the idea of like, yeah, just kind of come up with an idea and try to market it and see if it can be successful, right? You know, and something that's useful for artists, especially. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I use I use I have like two or three parallel palettes. I have one in my studio. I have one in my home studio. Um, I have one that I take with me on the road. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. Yeah. It's like basically uh, I just had a really bad back when I was studying at the league for those five years. And I wanted to put my palette up next to the painting so that I didn't have to, um, you know, like everything that within painting is all, especially when you work from life, it's um, you're asking yourself these really simple questions and you're dealing with these emotional responses that you get from looking at the model. And then you want to capture that as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Every time I do that, and my palette was down below by my uh, by my waist or whatever, and I'd be mixing, I'd come back up. It was it was just too long of a distance. Right. <laughs> you know, I wanted everything to be more heads up. Mm-hmm. And I also got like repetitive stress disorder on my back from oh. doing that all the time because I'm literally looking almost every two or three seconds, right. you know, trying to capture things when I'm painting. And so this, I was at one point I couldn't even move. 
and I had to just put the palette up so so I could actually paint that day. Oh wow! And so and I, when I did that, I noticed that there were other benefits, you know, where the paint is in the same light, right? You're painting, and it was just so um, so much more helpful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, and that was just kind of a fun fun project i guess to do for a year or so uh-huh. we haven't really made any money off of yeah, it yeah at all i, I, so I had a feeling <laughs> yeah because the market again is too small i well i mean we sold we sold out um we made 2500 of them and i think i only have like maybe 80 of them left oh, okay so i don't know if i'm gonna reorder at all um oh, well because the reorder would be another like thirty thousand dollars or something oh, crazy. Shit. you could you know like, what you could if if you ever run out completely, you could probably do another Kickstarter and say, "Hey, if you want one of these, you gotta give me the you gotta rate, give me the money to do a full order." You know yeah. Because I mean? that I I was you know I, I kept seeing that I kept seeing I don't know maybe I was seeing it somewhere online the parallel palette and I was like totally skeptical, like I just didn't seem like the paint's gonna stay up and everything's gonna fall off and. And I ended, yeah. up, I ended up getting one to try it out. And I was all like, hmm, I'm skeptical of this, you know? <laughs> and so I set it up and I, and I haven't switched back. I, my palette, my old palette, my old glass palette uh, next to me, it's like, I haven't done any big painting, so I don't have any use for it. I haven't used it. It's just dusty ever since I started using it. I'm only using the parallel awesome. palette now. I love that thing. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah I'd love to like do some, uh, I have so many ideas to make it better someday. You know, like, I'd love to make a wood version. Yeah, that was right. More, it's like a molded plastic. Right. I'd love to. I'd love to make it a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all we could afford to do because of the mold size, and it's it's great for traveling. That's it fits a, in my yeah. laptop. This uh, seems kind of the best. Yeah, it seems the best of both worlds in a way. It does feel a yeah. little bit small, but I've just learned to work like that. It's not that big of a deal, and it's worth it to be able to just like pack it up and throw it in a backpack. Yeah. It's so yeah. much easier than than. Hauling around pallets and super lightweight. Like yep. it's only oh, it's it's like I think it's just over two pounds. Mm-hmm. Most uh, I don't know what it weighs with paint on it though. Actually, I got to weigh it with paint. But most Pouchard boxes are like five or six pounds, right? That are super heavy. So it's it's pretty. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, amazing. We uh, we use them all the time. I, I have ideas to eventually make it bigger. And whatever and whatever, because right. I think it'd be just kind of cool to blow out the brand a little bit. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, funding is crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but, and it is such a small market. Yeah, but it, it's it was a fun project, yeah. you know, just to be able to do that too and kind of flex those old graphic design muscles that I had. Yeah, yeah, you know, from when I used to work like in corporate America. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you did it because I love it. Oh, love thanks, man. Um. I, I yeah, got, we have. I love. I got some good buddies that use it all the time. They're always messaging me. Yeah, like my buddy Sean Barber. Yeah, he's always done for you. Sean, Sean's work. He's Sean's awesome. amazing. I, yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a really great person too. Yeah. Oh no, the best person. Yeah. Like, so cool. uh, I gotta get him on the show. I didn't even think of that. Get him on the show. Yeah, he would totally do it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he totally would. He totally would. Actually, yeah. I'm going back to LA soon. I can't wait to hang out with him. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Uh, been a while. He's he's working with Carl Dobsky now, I think, in that studio at uh, Safe House in L.A. Where, what, uh, what, I, I don't know anything about this. What is oh, it? there's like an affiliate that Carl Dobsky started. Oh, who, yeah. Uh, they moved from San Francisco down to L.A. Uh-huh. 
And uh, they said in LA, they had a, a space called Safe House, which was with, um, I think Jeremy Mann was involved in it also a little oh, bit. Oh, wow. Carl Dobsky had, and he would teach, um, I think he taught digital stuff as well as traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just a cool, like, cool space that they all, like, all these artists would come and just draw from life or work on uh, stuff with, like, massive black. Right. And that whole real company. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there was almost like a training ground for that a little bit, I think. Hmm. I'm not sure of the specifics on that, but he uh he moved down to LA and he set up Safe House in LA and uh they were awesome. Oh, they cool. they supported my project by letting me do a demo. I had a survivor in LA that posed for me for three hours. Mm-hmm. And we just I didn't I didn't do a very good drawing because I just listened the whole time. Right. <laughs> but uh, it was cool to have him we had a survivor up on stage and, and taught tell us about his experiences and everything. And wow. I just, I just grew while he talked. So, That's uh, awesome. that he moved a lot, but it was still pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and Sean, Sean, uh, Sean and Carl kind of set that up for me so that oh, we could cool. do that. And a lot of their students went and raised some good money for my trip when I was out there. So wow. I'm super, super appreciative of those guys. Yeah. That's awesome. You know? I didn't even know about that place. I'm so out of touch. I mean, I'm in, I'm just outside of LA, like 25 minutes outside of LA, but Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, but um, what, all, what part are you, north or south? Uh, I'm northeast. I'm like, okay. do you know where Pasadena is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm right around Pasadena, a little bit further east, like 10, 15 minutes east of Pasadena. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, but I'm so I'm I'm so out of touch, and I I, I took uh, Sean let me sit in on one of his classes, and I I took one one class from him um years ago and I, I got so much out of it just that one class and um but man i was so nervous i'm so i, I get so nervous <laughs> doing classes like that i'm so self-conscious it's crazy oh really yeah because you're not in your comfort zone and, you know and i'm not and I'm, and I'm self-taught you know it's like yeah so i don't know anything really <laughs> i'm just like i i know enough to from what i've read from books and experimenting mm-hmm. myself so it's I think you're doing pretty well for being self-taught man thanks <laughs> i mean impressive oh thank you it's you know it's like I, I i've always kind of been like that like if i want to learn something i'll just read books about it you know that's how i learned computer animation and stuff too oh sweet and oh see i can't i can't read books to to learn how to paint at all really i can't i mean i wish i could i I've read like all, like John Vanderpool's like Human Figure. It's like a great book. I always get lost in the pictures, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely more of a visual learner, but w- when I get my mindset on learning something, I'll kind of exhaust all the possibilities. Right on. You know, but so much of and when I got into painting, it was just like I so much of um, my education, like I said, came from the makeup effects world, like color theory and mixing colors and flesh tones and. You know, working with sculpting and working with body casts, you know, yeah, it's very, very similar to kind of an old school um, art studio, right where, on. where they, you know, working drawing from life life masks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's weird. It's it's a trip. It was it was actually when I got into fine art, I realized that my, the environment that I was in for twenty years was a lot more like more like a, a fine art old school traditional atelier than yeah than i had realized you know <clears throat> but that's super cool casting so not, around and stuff yeah 
Have you have you done this? Are you on? We watch those TV shows sometimes where they do body painting and special effects. Uh, yeah. Have you been on any of those shows at all, or no. did you just laugh at those? No, I. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, those guys suck. No, it's it's <laughs> it's more like they don't give them a chance to even make anything good. That's why it's so frustrating for me because I know how long it takes to make this stuff, and they give these people like two days, yeah. and it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I'd rather see something that that uh, takes two weeks because you'd actually get a really great result if they gave these people the time. So they kind of don't even have a chance, really. And um, that's mostly budgetary because my friend was the consultant on that show, uh, Face Off. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah. So I, I got all the behind the scenes on that. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, they were just had to rush things all the time in order to make it work. Like financially. There, won't be, there won't be any like painting competition shows at all like that for the same reason. Yeah. They, they tried, they tried to do it a couple times, but the I remember one, it was like America's next top artist it was so stupid it was was just idiotic it was all of you know it was all about the the drama not about the work yeah yeah but yes i i still think a a really great a reality show i've had this idea for a long time and i'm sure a lot of other people have too but i think it'd be so cool if you picked a gallery and you could actually even do this with different galleries but you picked a gallery that had interesting owners or curators right yeah. And every episode you would have, because uh, usually, um, at least around here, the galleries I show on, they like, they do a show a month, you know? And so you could say each, okay. each show would be a month and you'd have the beginning where the, your wacky zany uh, <clears throat> curators contact the artist. And basically you follow what it takes to set up an art show for the gallery. And then you follow what it takes to create a show from the artist's point of view. And then at the very end, the culmination, the big payoff at the end is you have the art show and you show what the art show is like, and then you see if anything sells or not. I thought that, yeah. I think that would be such a fun, interesting show as far as reality shows go. No, I think so too. There's, there's one I saw that was on, um, I think it was on ovation or something mm-hmm. where these two guys, one guy started in LA and one guy started in New York and they used their art. They couldn't, you couldn't take a plane to cross over like three borders or something like that at a time, mm-hmm. but it was like a race to get across the country on just selling artwork. Oh, wow. <laughs> so on your way, like you had to sell artwork on your way to get like a bus ticket or to do, do what, but you couldn't cross over two border or I think it was two borders in, in a couple of days. Sounds like, um, like you couldn't just get a plane flight, you know what I mean? To LA. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like a really that. impossible thing to do. <laughs> It was crazy. So the one guy, one guy, yeah, I actually know the guy who, who was one of the contestants that did it. And we saw it with two, uh, Kenny, Kenny Harris. He's out there in LA. Mm. He uh, got a master's at, at Laguna and he shows with, um, oh, Copland del Rio gallery, mm. which I think is still around, which I think might be in Culver City or they might've oh, moved. I don't know that gallery. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty realist friendly gallery. They they're really big with um, F. Scott Hess. I think shows there. Mm. Uh, who's an amazing artist that you should also get on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean that. Okay. Yep. If you, uh, you if you, you uh, drop my name, maybe he'll do it. Okay. For your friends. Cool. cool. Uh, Thank you. He's he's awesome, and he's just got a he's been in the game for a while, mm-hmm. so he's got stories. You know. I bet. It's. Uh, that, that, that we can learn from yeah. so 
much respect for those guys that have been able to make a living doing this thing. It's a, it's a tough gig. Oh yeah. I, I know. know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, but as equally rewarding, I'll say, you know, Oh, totally, totally, totally. Every time. But it's definitely a, definitely a hustle. Oh man. It's a constant hustle. It's a constant hustle. <laughs> I, um, but you know, that that's, it's forced me to become a well, more well-rounded person too, because I, I had to learn to sell. I had to learn to talk yeah. to people, how to network, true, yeah. how to figure out a website, how to do social media and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How to podcast. Yeah. How to podcast. Exactly. <laughs> how to do a Patreon. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to totally pick your, uh, pick your brain about podcasting though. Cause, uh, I think I'm going to set one up with Shana and I, oh, that'd be great. I think cause it just gets, I think it's interesting to get the, the male female perspective of art for sure. Also from different people yeah. as well. As, uh, and we, 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 uh, we recently just did a, a small road trip to Arizona to teach last mm-hmm. week. And, we decided to listen to podcasts on the way. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we kind of know what we're going to want to say versus like some of the podcasts that were really horrible. Right. Like the interviewers weren't very good or they just had a set list of questions. Right. Right. Wasn't you didn't get to anything that was off topic in a way. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't, they didn't flow as naturally. Yeah. It's as too something like, I think like, like our conversation is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really, uh, so we want to kind of do that with artists that, uh, like I'd love to interview like Bo Bartlett, um, um, painters like um, like Vincent Desiderio, uh, like yeah. my art heroes. Yeah, you know I mean, that's what's so cool about this podcast is, um, you know, people are digging it, and and it's like a, a you know it's it's sort of a service to the to the art community and specifically the dark art community. But the the truth is, it's like a selfish thing for me. I get to interview all the artists I I love. And it's so yeah, cool yeah. to have, like, I'm, <laughs> it's like, I'm getting to meet and talk to these people that I respect and admire. And it's so much fun in that way for me, you know? So you should totally do it. It's really yeah. fun. It's really, I really enjoy it. And you can set up a Patreon for it too, to fund it, Yeah, you know? Cause that's what I, I didn't even think about that. I gotta yeah. ask you about that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause I've got a, I've got a Patreon, my own personal one, and then I've got one for the podcast and, um, oh, right and, and it's great, you know, and it's, it's allows me to, to do this every week i've been doing it you know so this is you know, like some of my favorite uh like do you guys know uh sam harris and yeah uh, yeah he has a he has a podcast and everything it's pretty amazing yeah there's tons of amazing podcasts i mean there's so many it's 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 kind of like yeah. you should do it if you're thinking about it you should do it now because it's only gonna be oh, right it's gonna be just be getting more and you know more and more to choose from oh that's true but you've got a good following so you'll do well sure Thanks, uh, i'm sure everyone on here would listen to it i'm so ignorant about the dark arts thing though i apologize like i don't know it's, i just think art is art yeah i know <laughs> so how I know. is dark art different it's is well, it, uh... <laughs> it's you know it, it the only the reason that it all came about because this guy um mike corral this friend of mine he made a documentary about me right in okay 2013 he did kickstarter and, and it came yeah, out yeah. in 2016 and uh, during the process of making this documentary over three years, we started kind of seeing that there's this really big underground movement of people that are into artwork that is creepy. And, you know, you might say it's like gothy or something, but it's, okay. it's, it's like, 
people, it's just like people that are into horror movies. You know, there's a, there's a faction of people that are just into horror movies and, but there, and there is, there's a big enough audience for this kind of dark artwork that um, it's a thing. It's a thing that's happening and, and no one, not a lot of people have caught onto it. And so, cause I started doing tattoo conventions and they're, and they're totally into, you know, they're so into to the dark stuff. Like when, when I would show, um, in the, you know, I was showing in the kind of lowbrow pop surrealism world. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's the only place that would have me, you know, because my stuff's kind of weird. And, um, and I, even there, I felt out of place. Like people, I had to explain why, what I was doing wasn't, you know, evil or weird or anything. People just didn't, yeah, yeah. didn't re- readily accept it because it was, it was kind of a dark subject matter. So, um, but but I we saw during making this documentary that there's there's thousands and thousands of people out there that that love this kind of work that are just naturally attracted to it and it's you know yeah. why they're attracted to it is a whole other story and we're always kind of talking about that and wondering but um, the other interesting thing that I found is that the people that are into it are almost always like really really nice sweet people and I just thought yeah. that's that's so odd. Because a lot of, you know, if you're not into it, you you see, uh, like Harley Brown was saying, yeah, yeah, if I didn't know you and I saw your artwork, I would think I would never want to meet that guy. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a vegetarian because I'm an animal lover. And, and it's like, I'm the night, you know, yeah. I'm a nice person. I'm a very nice person. And, and that's how most of these dark artists are. So I just thought that was interesting. And I wanted to, and it also didn't get a lot of respect because, you know, a lot of it is cheesy. There is a cheesy element to, to dark art. You know, there's, there's a cheese factor. If you, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of look at it on a scale and at the bottom, there's a cheese factor of just like gore and guts. And at the top yeah. of it, you've got Giger and Bekshinsky, which are like, you know, masters. Or like, um, do you like, you guys probably love Chris Cooksey. Oh yeah. Chris Cooksey's amazing. Yeah, he's yeah. incredible. Yeah. He's very mainstream. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of yeah, he's kind of crossed over. He's he's another good yeah. one I should get on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. I, I know him <laughs> also. Oh, yeah, should, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to him in a while, but I know him. But um you know, and Frazetta's kind of in there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There is there I was is thinking a, it would be like those those old uh, heavy metal or issues. Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's another kind of common thread is um, people like Bernie Wrightson. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And they're great. And and it's like, it, it kind of gets overlooked as not serious art, but I think, you know, like I said, you know, look at a, a Bekshinsky or a, or a Giger or um, Francis Bacon or Goya, you know, you go, you go back, yeah. there is that element in art. And so the whole purpose of the podcast was to just kind of like try and elevate the status of this, this art form that, or this little move mini movement that, um, you know, awesome. we think is worth it, you know? So, uh, that, and, and it's cool because the podcast is doing really well. It's starting to catch on. And so just, just as I had hoped, there's, there's a lot of people really into it. And, um, so people, people are digging it. So that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's always hard for you to get your art form to be taken seriously. Right. I mean, uh, there's this, uh, all these paintings that are representational paintings that uh, I feel like aren't like you're saying that cheese factor mm-hmm. <laughs> where like we have to fight this idea of, uh, of a pretty woman 
uh, lying on a bed right. with her back <laughs> arched. Yeah. It's like this cheesy 80s right. art thing that's actually still prevalent today, which is so frustrating. Right. In representational art. Yeah, I guess it, you it's know, like, yeah, I guess it happens all over, really, you know, when. Yeah, I attribute it to the, the kid in high school who couldn't get laid. Yeah. <laughs> to impress her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to ask Unfortunately. you. Unfortunately. I wanted to ask you also, um, how would, you know what I find difficult about, why, I guess not, it's not really the reason, but something I thought about is, you know, I, I've considered not doing dark stuff, right? Because I just love painting. And the more I've learned about painting, the the less it is about the subject matter and the more it is just about technique and stuff. Because that's why I love to do it. It's just fun. It's fun to paint, right? Yeah. yeah. And and so um, I found my, my niche, in, and I'm totally cool with it, and I'll be happy the rest of my life painting monsters. I'm totally into it. But um, I, I've thought about, okay, how would you even stand out when you're painting portraits? It's like it seems like there's a lot of kind of competition in that arena. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind um, of one cool thing about the dark art scene is there's not a lot of competition. <laughs> you know, it's like we're kind of building it as it goes. I got gotcha. you. And so I just was wondering, it's like or painting animals. I love painting animals, but how would you even get your how would you even find your own place in that world because there's so many people that do it? Yeah, no, I, I, um, it's funny. I think I went to a gallery when I was in college or something like that. I forget where I was. And I was like asking about portrait artists or, or like, like what type of work mm-hmm. if I wanted to do faces or whatever, how would I do that? And there are a lot of people always ask me like, well, how do you, how are you portrait artist selling paintings of people that aren't related to the person who's buying it and all right. that stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't do I don't do portrait commissions all, mm-hmm. um, just to make a living. I I don't I guess it, it all comes to just um, you know having that. I mean, if if anyone's interested in doing that, I guess the first step would just to be fuck just do it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't worry get, about get it. going and not not let that get in the way. Right. Of of doing something that you probably are bringing your own, own sensibilities to. True. And. I think that every it's um, nothing in the art world is really logical at all. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. so when you start to put when you start to put logic on something, then it, it's usually because um, nothing is logical in the art world. Nothing right. is based around merit necessarily so much. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> versus like Jeff Koons painting that's not even painted by him selling for right. of dollars. Right. You know the paintings aren't even that great. They're yeah. not saying anything important. And they're Absolutely. not even painted by him. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> why is that valued by the culture? Oh yeah. Um, don't, don't get me started on that. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, um, first off, it's fun to do. I think that if anybody really, um, I don't really believe in the word talent either. Mm-hmm. I always say that talent is, is, is love. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds cheesy, yeah, but yeah. like if you love doing something, like you say, you love to paint. Right. So you could paint anything and you love it and you're going to get better because you're doing it all the time. It's right. not a chore for you to, to paint. You know right, what I mean? It's right. something that you, you find rewarding in what you create, you know, and even just finding out probably a new paint color that yep. you dig, you probably like 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I agree. So I'm the, I'm the same way. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's um, find a topic of the portrait that you just want to dig deep into and, and really understand. Mm-hmm. I think it has validity and it has that weight that we were talking about. Right. And I think it's that weight that you give to a painting that makes it valuable. Yeah. 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 I mean that, I guess that kind of goes, goes with the follow your bliss theory. You know, if you love it and you're into it, oh, it doesn't, geez. doesn't matter what you're painting. It's going to, someone's going to recognize that if you're really putting your heart into it. You know, I didn't even think about Joseph Campbell. What's that? <laughs> I got to get back. I got to re- reread those books. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the whole reason. The hero's journey. Yeah. That's the whole reason I, I started painting these monsters is I was like, okay, I, I believe in the follow your bliss theory. You know, the idea that if you follow your true passion, that the do- doors will open that were previously closed. And I thought, yeah, I, I want to paint monsters and this will put that theory to the test because no one, when I was starting out was interested in this kind of artwork. And I thought, this is my true bliss. I know that. And if this works, then this will prove the theory that Joseph Campbell said. And so I did it, and then it, it worked. So I proved the Joseph Campbell theory yeah. of following your bliss. So Yeah, I guess I'm right there with you, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I believe I it. I mean, I just, I was painting my, painting my family members as a way of getting, being with them longer. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to figure out, like, any relationships I have. Uh, painting the people is my way of spending time with them longer. I don't keep track of the hours I, I do on a painting. Right. I hate having a deadline, which this is killing me right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> trying know. to finish this thing, but, uh, <laughs> like it's this painting is so much of, uh, each person I paint is like a different like book. Yeah. That I'm, deep, I'm reading about their lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I see it in every line in their hands or in their faces, all the, their whole life. Right. It's pretty, um, it's such a privilege to be able to paint them, you absolutely, know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's just, um, yeah, I was reading. Uh, hopefully sorry. I can do justice to them. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, I was, I was reading some interviews where you're, you're talking about how you, you like, uh, want to learn as much as possible about them. And it, and it makes a difference, you know, it makes a difference in the final artwork. Uh, if someone's painting someone from a photo that they don't know versus someone who is trying to learn everything they can about this person. And I think on some cosmic level or something, it's making a difference in the final piece, you know? Yeah. I hope that, that the paintings have a, have a give a shit to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? right. like, care about this person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, to do that. And, and to be, um, I mean, granted, nobody likes the way they look when they're in their, 80s or 90s you know what i mean right. unfortunately i don't know if, if the people are going to like the painting they're so that, interesting like, looking painting. though i love so, old faces though old, old people are so cool looking they are they're really cool so I much mean, more fun to paint than young people i think uh i like i like young people too because you get different uh different color variations i mean it's funny i used to when i first started out at the gallery they used to only want me to paint young pretty girls mm-hmm. and and i mean i guess i was in my early 30s or whatever and i was kind of into the same thing mm-hmm. <laughs> painting young pretty girls you yeah. know it was an interest of mine uh and so the but the paintings just and i used to be known as the guy that painted young pretty girls mm-hmm. now i'm the guy who paints the old people yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's really funny like how uh how i guess your work you become your work in some respects you know what i mean you right. are what you paint, <laughs> you know so i guess i can see where someone would say if you're doing monsters that ah oh, maybe this guy's a monster, right. <laughs> even though it's like 
totally totally done in a different way right you know i just love i love wrinkles and texture that's what i love about old people's faces like if i wasn't doing monsters it sounds horrible to say but if i wasn't doing monsters i could totally see and i've thought about painting um old people exclusively because i love texture and wrinkles i'm so into it you know it just yeah, yeah. Comes, comes maybe comes from my makeup effects background where the holy grail in effects is doing an incredible old age makeup. That's is like, it? Okay. Yeah, that's like the greatest thing you can do in effects because it's really hard to do. And so everyone was always striving for that. And there was always tons of old age reference around. And um yeah. you know, we all know the movies that had the great old age makeups and we would watch them. Which one what are they? I'm curious. Uh, the first one was Little Big Man. I like the first big one that everyone talks about is Little Big Man, which is yeah. a Dustin Hoffman film where they aged this guy into D- Dustin Hoffman. Dick Smith aged Dustin Hoffman into a 120 year old guy. Oh, wow. And, and that's the first time they ever used like overlapping prosthetic pieces. And uh, it's, you know, now, now we use, or the industry uses like silicone. So everything's translucent. It looks super real. Um, yeah. The, the David Bowie in The Hunger was considered like a milestone in old age makeups. Okay. At, at the end, he ages. Yeah. Uh, but that's back in the foam latex days. And now there's like so many good old age makeups coming out. Like, um, I think that uh, Tilda Swinton, you know, is that who? Yeah. Is that her name? She was in some movie where they did an old age makeup, not, you know, a few years ago. And it was really amazing. And Kazu, my friend Kazu, you know, Kazu does the big. Uh, giant head sculptures, re- super realistic head sculptures of like a yeah, yeah, of like Dolly and yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah. I used to work with him at Rick, Rick okay. Baker's for like five years. So um, <clears throat> he uh, he did that um, Winston Churchill makeup on Gary Oldman. Oh, okay. For that, and that's a, and pretty flawless. Uh, it's it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. And he he was always you know he's like the best in the business, but he left it all to, just to paint. Yeah, just to do his, oh, his sculpture. sculpture. Yeah, yeah. He left it all for, he's, you know, one of the only other people that I worked with that have done it. So many, everyone, when I was working, everyone was talking about wanting to be a fine artist. And I I jumped ship and did it. And then Kazu jumped ship and did it. And then there's so much talent in the effects world. You wouldn't believe it. They're really talented, amazing sculptors and painters. But you know, it's hard to turn that paycheck down. Yeah. I think once you get like a ton of responsibilities, you know what I mean? It's hard to, yeah. I can't yeah. imagine being an artist full time. If I had, uh, if I had my son, uh, much earlier, oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Had that study and everything and yeah, kind yeah. of go through, I always, I always looked at it as I was going to go through four or five years of like a bottleneck where uh, I wasn't going to make any money at all and just be a painter and see how that goes. Right. Cause you know, like, like, the thing is about even that the effects makeup world, probably those guys, the uh, that job's always probably available to them. Why not try to be an artist for a year? Or right. Two? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not. I have friends that are like, uh, you know, it's funny. I teach a lot, and I get older people that were retired uh, from being lawyers and doctors and whatever. I'm like, well, that that path's always available. Right. You know, you can always be a lawyer. Or you can always do anything. Yeah. You know, I agree. Relatively good at point. That's like, but family responsibilities and all that stuff gets in the way. Yeah. Navigate. Yeah. I feel like with this job though, it's a last man standing kind of thing. How's that? 
it's uh i mean i, I figure if if i'm doing this at 80 or 90 years old hopefully i'll get some recognition and be amazing painter right yeah <laughs> you know, do what you can to live that long to be able to get to get to that place right right you know what i mean like you're saying about appreciation for the dark arts is when you're like 90 years old or whatever you're gonna be like frazetta and all those guys right that you through, yeah because you know, they were they were the last man standing in a yeah way. yeah that would be cool you know yeah interesting yeah i i didn't start painting until i was 33 so oh, right i had i had my kids were already you know like teenagers at that point yeah so um you know, i didn't have i didn't have little kids running around so that's how i was able to do it it was still crazy that I did it at that time, but, um, cause I, yeah. I didn't have any savings or anything, but I was kind of building my career parallel to working. Like I was painting on my lunch hour at work and painting in the evenings when I got home and painting on the weekend and, and yeah. showing in wherever it would show me, you know? It's awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah, having, I couldn't have done it, you know, in my twenties, no way. I had, I had yeah. that steady paycheck. Um, I uh, hear you. Okay, uh, we're we're getting near the end. This is a long. I, I apologize for keeping oh, keeping you so long, but I did want to ask: uh, Are you're like a, a Vasari guy with the paint? Oh, for paint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Vasari, and um, yeah, I because I, I I um I just got clued into their cool raw umber. Oh, the raw umber. They have a cool raw umber. It's or it might be the only raw umber, but it's not like any other raw umber I've tried. I've tried all these different kinds of cool raw umbers and the Vasari one, there's nothing, I haven't found anything like it. It's, uh, no, that's like, that's one of my favorite colors. It, it, it moves more towards green, right? which is really beautiful. And it's slightly opaque. Yeah. I love a it. A lot of, uh, umbers are really transparent. Right. And they're kind of crappy and they don't do anything. Yeah. This yeah. actually has like some power to it. Yep. So I, 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 um, I mean, I, I, when I do, if I do a uh, grisaille kind of paintings, I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll use, that as a black, you know, like just making grays out of the, the yeah. Vasari yeah. rubber and white, maybe a little Great yellow poker. Um, so do I, you know, you have to order a hundred dollars at a time. So I haven't bought a lot of Vasari paints. Oh, geez. And um, so, I mean, do, do you, is, do you find, you must find that big of a difference if you use those paints, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been, um, I mean, I use other colors to like augment the palette. Uh -huh. But my main colors, like probably the main, like maybe eight or nine colors in my palette are all Vasari. Yeah. I've been using them since I was a student at the Art Students League. And so I used to save up money to be able to buy each color. Um, I could just go to the shop, though. You know what I mean? I didn't have to mail order. Right, we, right. They had a shop on Prince Street for a while. And then it moved up to 20. Then they were on 29th. And now they're on 27th. Mm. So they've moved around the city a little bit. But they're... um amazing stuff yeah. i use i've been using more uh gamblin's uh color which is easier to get to oh really uh, and get uh gamblin radiant colors yeah those are great uh for my lights i don't use white very often anymore oh interesting i, I move everything up towards uh the value in the faces through temperature shifts right uh warm cools with the with the radiant colors and I, the first radiant color i ever got was from actually sean barber uh, we were teaching at a tattoo convention together out in Vegas, mm -hmm. and uh, he gave me a small tube of some radiant turquoise. Right, I love that gambling, and, and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Gabe, so, Gabe Leonard. I don't, do you know Gabe Leonard? 
the painter? I don't know if I do. I'm uh, sorry. Great. You should look him up. He's amazing. He's been okay. on the show, but um, he's the one who turned me on to the radiant, the gambling radiant colors. They are really great. Yeah. They, they're just, they're, they're, uh, they're highly, uh, high value, high chroma mm-hmm. is all the, uh, the Holy grail oil painting, you know, cause you don't want to skin tones. Don't go towards white mm-hmm. ever. Right. So, like if you were to take like the, the name tag of a Rembrandt, this said Rembrandt painted this in 1665. And you, you took that card off the wall at the museum and put that next to the painting. Mm-hmm. Nothing in that painting would be as white as that card. Right. You know? and so, so with photography though, and photorealism, people tend to go that light because that's what the photo does. Yeah. So the photo like basically blows out all your lights and crushes all your darks. Right. So right. you lose all that information in a lot of cases. And so the idea is to be able to take photography um, that's in tune with capturing something as you, as if you were painting it from life. Right. And so that's uh, the lights by having, having chromatic lights. It's really, really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. But, that's, that's what we're actually gonna we're gonna name our podcast actually uh high chroma oh high chroma podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have the name cool well high I, chroma value yeah I, I will uh look forward to that one man i'll, I'll definitely i don't, I don't think uh, it's probably a launch probably i i think i want to tell me if this is a good idea thinking about just capturing as much audio as i can we'll have you definitely on it'd be amazing oh i'd love to to, uh, to have you interview you yeah i'd love um it. So I can learn more about you. You know, I learned a lot today, man. Thanks for answering my questions. Oh, no, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, having like maybe five or six episodes already done and uh-huh. then just it and then do like one a month or something or, yeah. or just throw a whole bunch of content out once like a, like a Netflix, uh, like series. Right. Yeah. I don't, you know, that good or bad? I don't know. I, I, the way we did is we just recorded one and we put it up and then we were like, Oh, we have to do another one in a week. And we just kept oh, doing it every week. So I would, um, I would probably go, I would go, uh, maybe record a few and then release them, you know, oh, I, once every week or something. Yeah. Or depend, however long, however long, I, or if you're going to do like one a month, I would probably release a bunch or a small amount in the beginning to get people interested. And then, I got you. you know, and then maybe do them one a month. But if you're doing them weekly, I would maybe hold them back personally. Because that's what you guys do. Is it one, once a week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is oh, ep- episode 106, I think. 105, oh, wow. 105 or 106. <laughs> yeah. It's been. That's hardcore. Yeah. It's been a couple of years almost. So um, it's fun, though. I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah. Just let me know when. If you have any questions or when you want me to come on, I would love to be on. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. That'd be amazing. Well, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. I I reference you all the time when I talk about the badass portrait painters. And, um, so I, I, it was a real exciting for me to be able to interview you. Thanks man. I've been following your stuff and supporting your, Kickstarter. I have your sticker on my easel right here. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I appreciate it's that. Awesome. It's awesome to, to hang out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to sign off, but don't hang up yet. So l- let me just give my little spiel. Yeah, right uh, thank you everybody for listening. If you want to support the dark art society podcast, Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash dark art society. And you can join for as little as a dollar a month and get access to the 
private Dark Art Society cooperative Facebook. And all kinds of action is going on there. It's really fun. Um, so, and thank you for those of you who do support. This is how I'm able to do this podcast. I definitely wouldn't be able to do the podcast without the financial support. So you guys are making it happen. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. And thank you, David, for coming on. Hey, thanks again. It's an honor. All right. Okay, everybody out there in podcast land, goodbye.